three wide to the finish. Although, if you scratch out the driver who was disqualified, it's actually two wide to the finish. That's where we go to begin part two of covering the Commonwealth. Yep, we're copying this idea. Covering the Commonwealth, a look at the locally interesting teams and stories from the experts who cover them. Let's start with NASCAR. With Dalton Hopkins of FrontStretch.com. He was there at Talladega. Dalton, what does it say about this race? Three wide for much of it, and despite the great Cinderella stories that popped up, even though one was disqualified, the three drivers that were there at the end all are drivers with experience, running well, contending for, and securing victories at tapered spacers or restrictor plate tracks. I think it goes to show that uh, despite the fact that, like you said, there's a bunch of Cinderella stories coming up through the field, there's actually dudes in there that know how to race at super speedways really well. And it just so happens that Ryan Blaney, who's won there three times now, is actually pretty darn good at it. Um, so I think it just goes to show that, yes, there, there are guys who are going to get lucky a lot uh, at these racetracks at Daytona, Talladega, and I guess Atlanta now. There are guys who are going to get lucky, but there are still dudes out there that have, like, they just have the sight, the vision, the feel, if you will, when it comes to these, these plate races. Dalton Hopkins with us here in the fast lane. Dalton, the winner was Ryan Blaney. He's one of those guys people have been waiting for him to put it all together. Is he now on pace, given he's had success at other tracks like Martinsville, to be able to capitalize on that and maybe being that dark horse driver that makes it into the championship four? Well, you know, I think we're, we're everyone's kind of suffering from the idea of recency bias, and that's when the, the most recent driver to win a race we all seem to clamor and think that he's going to win the championship. And we got to get away from that now, especially more than ever, especially after Talladega, because, yes, it's exciting to see Ryan Blaney, you know, win his second race of the year, and it looks really great on paper, and it's two wins now, and he's going to, and he's locked into the round of eight. That's fantastic. He doesn't have to worry about the roll. But here's the problem is that we've been here before. We've been, Ryan Blaney has been here before. He's been to the round of eight before in the past. And it doesn't go very well for him. It, this seems to be his kryptonite. This seems to be the chink in his armor that, that won't allow him to get through and, and make it and run for a championship in the end. So I don't, and unfortunately, and I'm sorry, Ryan Blaney fans, but I don't see anything really different this year. Yes, he looked good at Talladega, and the Fords are slowly getting faster, but he's not that great uh, when it comes to, to the round of eight. So, and that, I totally meant for that to rhyme, so... I just I don't really see it happening. I think next year, this weekend is going to, excuse me, this weekend is going to be a nice little bye week for him. He can kind of coast and have fun, but it's going to be time to get back to work for. It's going to be time to get back to work in two weeks, and he's going to have some serious work to do. Road course ish racing has not exactly produced the most compelling action. How much does that change now, considering that of the drivers that could advance to the round of eight? Nine of them seem to be in determined spots. Two of them, William Byron and Ryan Blaney, have been locked in. The other, Kyle Busch, in a clear must-win situation. It's win or go home for him. The other nine, there's a lot of flux, particularly for about seven of those drivers. Will that create a level of chaos at Charlotte that normally has not been featured at the Roval? 
Yeah, I think this is probably going to be the Robles' only saving grace this weekend. It's going to be just that playoff picture. Yeah, I know that. You know, I know it's not going to be that fun to to see. Was it six drivers? I mean, I know no. There's not really a lot of people. There's no one in the must-win situation right now. But Kyle Busch doesn't look very good uh, at the moment. And I gotta be honest with you. I know this is Kyle Busch. We're talking. This is KFB, right? This is Kyle Busch. We're talking about here. That team has been good, but they haven't been that good. And I don't think they really, especially, have been very good on road courses either. So I think when it comes to the Roval this weekend, unless you're driving Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet or Joe Gibbs Toyota. Um, I think you got some work to do. You, you're you're not really going to be in the best position. Um, well, maybe some strategy will will work itself out. Maybe the Roval will really uh, prove me wrong and put on a good show. But I just I don't really see it happening. This next gen car is going to change before something like that happens. Until then, um, the only wild card situation I can really see actually happening is if some mechanical failures happen for some playoff drivers, some pit road shenanigans. Or who knows? Maybe somebody locks up in the turn one like they did in 2018 and causes a huge pileup. Good questions to ask. Good answers, always. Pit Lane LT on Twitter. Frontstretch.com. Dalton Hopkins with us in the fast lane. Dalton, thank you for your time and insight. Hope you enjoyed Talladega, and we look forward to chatting again soon. Absolutely. Uh, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It is ours as well. And last but not least, or maybe least, that professional football team in Landover, Maryland, or is it Ashburn, Virginia? You complete 71% of your passes as a team. You hold the ball for five more minutes than your opponent. And, not to mention that, you're fantastic when it comes to third and fourth down conversions as a particular team. You're talking 10 of 19, almost 50%. That's a really good number. Yet the Washington Commanders could not get a 34-31 victory. Uh, it was Philadelphia who got that in overtime. Seawall Candy Waller was there at the link yesterday, as many of our listeners were just merely enjoying it on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. Seawall, does it feel like the Commanders let one slip away yesterday against the divisional foe? Absolutely. And to see the offense recover in the way that they did from week three to week four. This one absolutely slipped away, and I'm going to have to look at defensive coordinator Coach Jack Del Rio's defense as the reason why. Um, So many opportunities that they simply just missed. Yes, there was a lot of focus on the Emmanuel Forbes, A.J. Brown matchup that went on the entire game, and the Eagles absolutely maximized that opportunity to the fullest extent and made the commanders pay for it. I mean, the offense came out totally recovered from last week, but the defense simmered out a little bit when when they should have been a bit more aggressive, and the Eagles made them pay on the scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, you bring that up. I mean, they missed opportunities galore. Drives extended from penalties by Philadelphia. Conversions by Washington. Heck, Philadelphia gift-wrapping the Commanders a chance at the end of that game by not milking the clock down to three seconds and kicking a field goal, but instead getting a touchdown with a buck fifty to go, which, as an Eagles fan, Trey might uh, believe this. I certainly did when I listened to it. That was a horrible coaching decision, and it was served up for Washington on a silver platter to go down the field, and they did, thanks to an A.J. Brown taunting penalty 
they gave 15 extra yards to the commanders um there's a lot of ways to second guess seawall so we do that on w226 bg timberlake wvgma in lynchburg wmna gretna danville Southside. before we do that trey apparently wants to interject for a moment uh, i was gonna say is i sort of disagree with you because i would say yes if it was like tom brady on the other sideline but there's a sam howell who hasn't done anything yet in the nfl so you have like to me you would have to prove it that you would have to go win it anyways i get the idea behind it you have jake elliott who outside of justin tucker is maybe the best kicker in the nfl but uh you know it's a play where they can build they need to get their passing game going and they can build it off ne- like next week. I-, I was okay with it because there's Sam Howell on the other sideline, not Tom Brady. Okay, see, here's where... That's exactly what I was saying. I was like, oh, they don't think Sam will get the ball down the field. Exactly. Right? Like that, I knew that's exactly what it was. I said, oh, they they, not, they, do, they have zero faith that Sam Howell will pull anything off even remotely close to them getting that ball down the field. Not understanding that Coach Eric Bieniemy has had them practicing two-minute drills for that in very reason of what happened yesterday. The offense does it all the time in practice. Should they have gone for two then, the Washington Commanders at the end of the game? Yes. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? If they would have gone for it and they didn't make it, it was like everybody would yell, well, why didn't they just go to the field goal? I thought it was smart for them to go for the field goal because I was like, if they get the ball back, they are hot, they can get down the field. And they almost did if Terry McLaurin, that catch would not have been deemed inconclusive in the, in the, you know, the call on the field would have stood. During that TV timeout, they told the team and they told us in the press box that that was a catch. And the next thing we knew, it wasn't. So, with that being said, yeah, sure. I, I thought they were playing it safe and saying kick the field goal, let's take them to OT, our offense is hot, but it didn't work out that way. It's for all those reasons they should have gone for two because you're playing, you're the underdog on the road, just saying. I mean, that's a whole nother topic. And see, But Seawall not... did make me feel a little smart that, that I was smart when she said she agreed with me. I just want to point that out. I mean, we can all respectfully <laughs> disagree. Seawall is still fantastic with all of her insight, and she's always grateful enough to share it with us in the fast lane. Seawall, we will wrap it up on this particular question. You put a lot of this on the defense of Jack Del Rio and how they handled Philadelphia, particularly did not help Emmanuel Forbes handle A.J. Brown in that particular matchup. How much heat does Del Rio deserve considering that, you know, I understand coaches are married to their systems, but don't you have to have a little situational awareness and realize that uh, you got a rookie cornerback out there as tall as he is. He's not as physically built as Brown, and that uh, was clearly evident yesterday. I mean, absolutely. And I, I know, and I think you've heard me either say this on my show or I've said it here, Coach Del Rio was elated when they picked up Emmanuel Forbes. That was his pick. That is his guy. So, yes, all the faith in the world of Emmanuel Forbes. And we know that Emmanuel is kind of being groomed to track your wide receiver one. But once you saw it wasn't going the way as expected, you got to make some adjustments to help the situation out. And of course, the veteran that A.J. Brown is, he's probably like, you're going to put this rookie on me? Okay, I'm going to make you pay for it. And he did. Seawall S-E, that's Twitter, CEO Seawall and Seawall Sports on Instagram. Those are the socials for our girl, Candy Waller of Seawall Sports and Entertainment. Seawall, hope you enjoyed your time in Philly with a great cheesesteak and hopefully you enjoyed your time today in the fast lane because we always enjoy your perspective. Absolutely. I had a great time. I'll talk to you guys again soon. Indeed. Candy Waller with us here in the fast lane. And uh, yes, we will speak with her soon, even though you know that one hit home, Trey. She agreed with you. And, uh, you know, I guess we can all respectfully disagree.
Nah, I just I'm right. No, see for me it's zero percent chance. Okay, let me rephrase it. I like Jake Elliott's chances to make a field goal with three seconds left on the clock from he made, 45 yards when he made one from 54 yards in overtime. Also, to be fair, you have a you had a supposedly really good defense that is really good at getting up for the passer against a bad O-line. I think it was fine. Like, I just, I think that's not the reason that game became an overtime game. I, it, and also, after that touchdown, uh, the Eagles, from, since it was 17-7, to outscored, because I got a text from Michael Massey talking smack, and I replied with him after the Eagles oh, got that. Oh, imagine that. that. I got that, I got that touchdown. I said, the Eagles have outscored the Commanders 24-7 since that point since it was 17 to 7 so to me it was just like it made sense and they scored if if the if the play before it happens literally is two seconds longer the game's over and they don't they don't score so it's it's just it's football that's how sports works in the meantime how our show works is we're done today we're back tomorrow afternoon, 5 to 6 p.m. With whatever's on right now, because we don't know, because they keep changing things. Yeah, well, CBS is in the process of changing things up with Maggie and Perloff going into the mornings and uh, Zach Gell possibly being moved around. So whatever they're playing right now until we get ready to bring you Monday Night Football at 7.30 p.m. featuring the Seahawks and the Giants. In the meantime, we're back tomorrow afternoon, 5 to 6.